When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Headstuff Studios in Dublin. Welcome to Mother Folklore, a podcast about words, Irish, Irish words, and words from Ireland. I am Dara O'Shea. And I am Padre Kovonik. And I went to a Jesuit school. So I have a lifelong grudge against <laughs> a certain man who has an important, an important role in the Irish language. A vital role in the Irish language. A key role in the, in the Irish language. A Jesuit by the name of Father Patrick Deneen. Padraig O'Deneen. Padraig O'Deneen. So I, I, should, I feel I should pull you up on this one, right? Um, he joined the Jesuits in 1880. Right? Mm-hmm. And he was ordained a full, full priest yes. in, in uh, 1894. But just a short six years later, he actually left the Jesuits. You never leave the Jesuits. <laughs> he left the Jesuits. He remained a priest, but he left the order because he wanted to dedicate his entire life to the study of the Irish language and the education of, of him. So he stayed teaching in Jesuit schools and he stayed writing. But um, he he uh, he was not a Jesuit, technically speaking. This is, I mean, I no, I consider that, I think, formatively, you know, the, you know, there's Jesuits don't see other priests as, you know, on their level at all. Is that so? It's shocking. They were formed as sort of the military wing of the Catholic Church, weren't they? Yeah, very much so. They are formed as, as a counter-reformation counter order with the specific, and, and, and specifically with the intent of, of slowing down the Protestant Revolution. And mm. then subsequent to that, they basically, there were some countries where they got a particular foothold, some cities where they got a particular foothold, and then they became very much associated with private education and elitism. And uh, and then also the idea that they had a... That'd be where you ran into them then, wasn't it? Perhaps. Elite private education. Elite private education. So <laughs> so in Vienna, and especially, they're, they're very they're very particularly powerful in Vienna and San Francisco. That's 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 a piece of information, all right, right there. Yeah. So almost whenever you meet a Jesuit, they're almost always... They're either, they've spent time in either of those cities overwhelmingly. But and but yeah, the Pope briefly shut down the order, and then they kind of came back. And we all know Papa Pruntius, the current Pope, is from the Jesuits, first ever Jesuit Pope. Nostradamus predicted that the world would end after a black Pope, and sometimes the head of the Jesuits is called the Black Pope. But Papa Pruntius is not was not the head of the Jesuits. He was not. What's it? What the the head of the Jesuits has a cool title though. 
the Black Pope. No, no, he's an his actual title, not his 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 joke title. I think it's, he's I think he's the general. Yeah, it's something like that. It's the, 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 the who's the oh, oh, it's the superior general. Superior general. The superior well, general. Superiority complex general, more like. Anyway, the Jesuits. <laughs> It's but, fucking complex. I'll give you that one. <laughs> so the Jesuits, obviously, um, and so... So can, can I just point out the irony of, you know, like, you, you don't dislike Patrick S. Dineen because of how Irish is taught, but rather, who taught it to you? <laughs> well, I wasn't taught... My Irish wasn't taught to me by a priest. It was taught to me by a... Uh, in secondary school, my Irish teacher wasn't a priest. Oh, yeah, but apparently they're all Jesuits if they work there. I mean, you've just... You've laid that logic out there, you know? You don't, you don't distinguish... Well, <laughs> I'm saying that if, if your introduction to the clergy is through the Jesuit order and then you say you don't want to actually to be on, you, you be excused from your duties so that you can, you know, do other stuff like write a dictionary. And he was also, I mean, and it may, may very well be the case. So Father Deneen, or Parik O'Deneen, because of his je- Jesuitical intellectual acrobatics, but also had a native Kerry Bloss. He probably was uniquely well placed to yeah, write from, his dictionary. Yeah, from uh, Schlieve Lucre, the uh, the the area famed for its lovely, lovely accents, lovely, lovely Blas Sahelga, uh, right on the Cork and Kerry border. So, uh, Porrigodinian was from on Rathmore, uh, Rathmore, County Kerry, and he was educated in Killarney and uh, in what was the Royal University of Ireland at the time, which would later on, many, many, many years later, become the National University of Ireland. Yeah. Uh, so a very well-educated man. He was educated in classics and mathematical science. He had an MA in mathematical science, but his great passion was always Irish, on uh, And he, um, he, he ended up leaving the Jesuitical order, mm. uh, although, you know, like you say, it's like, I don't know, what's it like? It's like the Ra. You can't, you can't, you can't really it's like leave. like the Mafia. Like the Mafia. Yeah. That's a much better, that's a much better allegory right there. Um, anyways, he went to work on his, he left them in 1900 and started working on his, his seminal piece. Like he was, he was involved in the Irish Text Society, which is often overlooked when it comes to Avioca and the Gaelga, the revival of Irish. Mm-hmm. The Irish Text Society uh, was set up to print um, versions of Irish literature. It was founded in 1898. Um, you know, it was a text publication society, so they would release old Irish texts as they were, but annotated with English. So some of them would have a foreword and a conclusion in English. Some of them would have um, side-by-side translations. Now, the first president of the Irish Text Society was uh, Douglas de Hyde, Douglas Hyde. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is, it's often ignored when it comes to its role in Avioca and the Gaelga because of how prominent Conor and the Gaelga was. Yeah. And, you know, the teaching, the Timory going around the country teaching Irish. But the texts were vital because on the one hand, you had the Timory going around the country teaching people spoken Irish, which they themselves had learned from islanders and from people in the Gaeltachty. And that was teaching sort of one form of Irish, uh, this, this modern vernacular Irish that was very practical and very uh, based around the farming and fishing lifestyles. But then you had these wonderful texts going all the way back to the 16th, even the 15th centuries when they were first written down. Uh, and they were publishing new editions of these. So Leor Gawala Aaron, uh, which, you know, Imer Duffy would tell you is one of the seminal texts in, in early medieval Irish. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
that was republished by the Irish Dex Society. Forest Fassa Aaron by um, uh, Geoffrey Keating, Shatterun Caton. Yeah. The poems of Pyrrhus Fertair, the poems of Aegon O'Rahala, um, the the Annals of the Four Masters, the mm-hmm. stories of Cuculum. When I was when I was studying for a master's in Manuthan Irish, we were studying um, medieval Irish literature, but we were using the texts published by the Irish Text Society. And Parag O'Dinin was involved in this, and his seminal work, the piece that he did for them, was uh, on folklore Gaelga August Berle, uh, which was first published in 1904, I think. 1904. Yes. Um, an absolutely, um, a, a, a vital piece, because, you know, mm. all of a sudden you had a a living, working dictionary of the Irish language there. It's kind of like, you know, we we, we need this, yes. you know, and we need to be able to translate as we go and, and we're going to, we're going to have this, this dictionary. But, you know, ironically enough, do you know the book has two first editions, by the way? I was aware that they, like Kukul, and it was born many times. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, the first one was done in 1904, and it was a, it was a good it was a good dictionary. Really happy with, but um, the all of the stock of the dictionary and the printing plates, the type yeah. plates, they were all destroyed during the Easter Rising. So, uh, which is especially funny because uh, because Deneen had given Pork of Hirsch on Pearsuk a very vicious review of, of his short stories, and it's like, oh, the jokes are new, mate. <laughs> just, oh, your dictionary was destroyed. And in the later edition, when he said he's referring to the the instance in which the original plates were cost, he referred to them as the Dublin fires. <laughs> <laughs> Very kind of n- not suggesting that there's any actual like a rising or keeping his powder dry in terms of his actual what which side he was in this in this great debate. <laughs> but he, but referring, it was topical, you know. It was re- referring to these rising as the Dublin fires. It's like someone had a glass of sambuca and dropped it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so I mean, I mean, there is obviously the the idea that it may have been deliberate mm-hmm. by Porrick McPierce. <laughs> like, well, listen, we we may not be winning the rebellion, but I'm going to burn that fucking dictionary <laughs> if it's the last thing I do. The Denine's review, when he because um, um, Pierce when he wrote the books, he knew nobody wanted to read short stories in Irish by a by a Dublin barrister with an English dad. So he created a, a persona, Colm Canera, of a kind of a, a Connemara man who's kind of a raw talent. He, he created a persona around himself and a kind of a, not quite a nom de plume because he's creating a bit of a persona as well. Mm. But Janine Redd said, no, listen, you can tell, you can tell this <laughs> you can guy. The stink of Dublin of him. And he said, yeah, that, that he said that basically, you know, um, the Irish and the West isn't perfect, you know, but it's, it's good, good natural country butter. This is clever Dublin margarine from the slums. <laughs> from the slums? And the one he... One of the things he pointed out is one of the reasons he could tell it wasn't native. Not enough barrels. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. You go you go you go to Connemara and like, you know, you can tell the the natives there because they're George Impera throws a brand new up Um yeah, okay. So Park McPierish couldn't couldn't pull the wool over Dinian's eyes with his his short stories. I mean and like I know, like... Only two of them are any good, in fairness. Well, I mean, in fairness to Deneen. And, like, you know, Pierce had this habit of, of writing stories, you know, in the way that Oasis writes songs. There's something very familiar about them. Yeah. Like, the influences are right there. They're bubbling right up on the surface. Yeah. So when you when you look at some of the... Um, in fact, to be honest with you, everyone in, in early Irish literature around the turn of the century, the literature that was being um, pushed by Cunan Gaeilge in Avioken Natyangan was 
was very, uh, shall we say, heavily influenced by Irish folktales. Yes. Basically, they were rehashing stories that had been told around the fire for the previous couple hundred years yeah. in an oral storytelling um, culture. Mm-hmm. And I said, right, great. I want to write this uh, I to write this story down and make serious bank. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in many ways, people at the time had a lot more respect for the tunes that, that, that they were collecting all around the country. You know, over the, over the following 30, 40 years, RTE in particular, after they were founded, but many, many people, Chief O'Neill, um, the Chicago Chief of Police, mm-hmm. uh, had spent a long time going around the countryside collecting tunes. Uh, Chief O'Neill was a fiddler, but he collected tunes and songs from all over. They, they had a lot of respect for where they got it. Like, I got this from the playing of, you know, Darach Bon O'Shea from Montrawan there. You know, he'd be the son of uh, Mary Rue and Hay. And they go, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, geez, a brilliant, brilliant fiddler, brilliant fiddler. Mm. But then all these authors were like, yeah, I wrote this. <laughs> I was like, wait, yeah. didn't you hear that off your granddad? Completely. It was a, there, was, there was an element of that, all right. And, but yeah, so, so Deneen certainly, Deneen called Pierce out and, 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 and Fiersuk did end up replied by, I mean, we don't know who, <laughs> we, we don't know who, who shot what. Listen, listen yeah. we know, yeah. we know the Tans did it. Right? Pierce. Are you suggesting Pierce was actually a Tan? No, I'm suggesting the gunboat Helga sailed down the river and started shelling the shite out of Dublin. Mm. And one of the unfortunate casualties, along with, you know, over a thousand Dubliners, uh, was uh, Porik Dineen's uh, dictionary and all of the plates that made it were melted in the fire. So he had to he had to do it. It was basically a real life version of that episode of Blackadder where Baldrick burns Dr. Johnson's dictionary and the lads have to write it again. Except they, they didn't have to do it in one night. Yeah. Uh, he, he had the opportunity to do. Uh, and, and he actually looked at the opportunity in 1916 and said, you know what? There were a lot of words I could have put in and chose not to. I think I think I'll put them in this time. So, yeah. the nineteen sixteen edition became not the second edition, but the new first edition, the new yeah. and improved first edition. And this is why. And sometimes when you when you're getting a copy of Deneen, you it's it's good to keep an eye on which which version you're having because there was also a, a version of the nineteen twenty six as well. Yeah, that one was aided by Liam S. Gogan, who was uh, probably the prominent poet of the time. Uh, he kind of filled this this massive vacuum in poetry between the death of Pierce. Uh, and then the the beginning of the sort of the modernist generation of O'Reardon, um and and the sort of the post traditionalist tradition of uh, uh, Maura In between those periods of time, Liam S. Gogan was the the Irish poet of note in the nineteen twenties. So yeah, nineteen twenty six twenty seven, he was working with Odinin on a second edition of the dictionary, which again was much expanded, and um, it was. It, he, oh, Dinian actually, Dinian actually asked uh, the Irish Tech Society if he could include Gogan as a co-author, and they said no. You're not allowed to put him on the type on the the what's it called the nameplate. Yeah. Uh, uh, so he was like, oh, all right, Saws oh, balls. So, sorry about that, <laughs> Liam. <laughs> but uh, mm-hmm. Liam Gogan kept on going even after uh, Odinian died. Liam Gogan kept uh, kept compiling words and mm-hmm. finding translations of things and, and finding things in the speech and finding things in the... And, you know, a lot of compiling an Irish language dictionary, when you consider that it, we had for several hundred years been a very oral tradition, very oral culture, that it meant actually going and talking to people and saying things like, um, that little... Um, that little insect there with six legs and kind of a blue arse and what do you call him? It's like, oh, quill. Right, okay, and, and is there another word for it? Oh, <laughs> Quilogue. 
I was like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, and how do you spell that? I was like, fucked if I know. All right, okay, well, we'll try and <laughs> we'll try and put this into a declension somewhere. Like, and this is the thing. You, like he um, he was he was putting kind of certain spelling conventions on an oral oral language, and I know people do give out about certain spelling conventions in Irish, but and you do you think sometimes people actually saying some of these words weren't spelling them at all? Yeah, which is which is why it's kind of easier to get on board with the simplification of the Irish language when it eventually happened. When he was writing, like, Gaelge was written G-A-E-D-H-I-L-G-E. There was loads of little D-H's and G-H's all over the shop. Um, but it was, I mean, that, that's just, that was the the written tradition of the 1600s. Like, you know, that was yeah. kind of early modern Irish became um, became modern Irish quite slowly. Yes. And, you know, he um, he, he was eventually, you know, by the time he was long gone, because, I mean, Deneen died when he was, he was, what, 73? So that was around about 1933 or thereabouts. Um was long after that point that the language yeah. got simplified with the introduction of the, you know, the Gaelge uh, Ifigul. The Gaelge Ifigul. Yeah, uh, which is grand, like, because, again, like, for, for so many people, the written part of it wasn't, it just wasn't as important. So, I mean, yeah, you can mm. simplify. Don't simplify too much. Yeah, you don't want to simplify too much. And because, um, because Deneen is, like, because it's, a, it's a dic- an Irish-English dictionary, not an English-Irish dictionary, you have some wonderful words which don't exist in English. Ooh, go on, hit me with a few. Okay, Ingenguia is a word for a uh, for breath, the daughter of wind. Oh, that's your breath, Ingenguia. Ingenguia. Nice, I like it. There's Fuelsnov. Fuelsnov, that's wolf swimming. Wolf swimming. Wolf, so is it the doggy paddle? Gliding like a wolf. Oh, gliding like a wolf, so okay, not the doggy paddle. <laughs> not quite the doggy paddle, but the idea is, yeah, move, moving like that, moving with grace and determination and complete silence. Wow. Those are two for starters. I like that. I like that. Grace and silence, the absolute opposite of doggy paddling away. Garach, the adjective. It's come back since, but the uh, it's becoming more popular now, but it is left out of some of the modern dictionaries. Garach. Likes dogs. Oh, Garach. Garach. Ah, yeah, 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 because it's my last Geyer. Yeah. Garach. Okay, yeah, or Madrach. (laughs) Or if you're listening in from otherwhere in the country, Madrach. Madu. Magic. Magic. <laughs> yeah. And then, I like that. Did you, did you, um, and there was, um, there's a, hang on, if you're going to show you this one, there's a, this is an entry about, about a beggar in his bag. From Dineen's Dictionary. Uh, so this is from Lackey, mm-hmm. uh, a lackey or a boon companion. Yeah. Lackey Manaw, a good wife. Dridawak, ma'am, a wala, ni lackey lumhu. Oh, bag, move away from me. You are no boon companion of mine. As a beggar would say to his bag, yeah. So, like, that's that's where you, uh, you, you when you're going around the country, listening out for the use of 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 terms. Like, yeah. That what one, one of my favorites is the um, the amount of words that he's got for different types of kiss. Oh yeah. Yeah, you could have a a, a smash oak. Yeah. If you smash want oak, a, a smash oak, if you want a big loud kiss, but if you only just want a little, just a, a kind of a, an audible kiss, where it's more about the sound than the action, you, that's where you need a floss poke. Floss poke. And then it. No, no, that actually sounds more like a shisog. Oh. Which is a sucking kiss. We do. We know each other. We know each other quite well, I'll have you know. Uh, and then you could have a, a clop oak, mm-hmm. uh, which is a big plonk of a kiss. A pogeen, which is a small kiss. Or a spalp, which is a quick kiss. 
<laughs> um, yeah. One of my absolute favorites from Janine that I, I think deserves to go brought back because you all have a co- we all have been put in this position often by a uh, a poor colleague. Oh no, yeah, a job that's to be done a second time. Oh man, that's one of my favorite like Irish words. It's, it's absolutely a- class. Ah no, where you just yeah, something is so bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Like we we had a I used to have a colleague we'll call him Finnegan and we say like, oh Finnegan and because he'd often do jobs badly and someone else would be we we forced to do it for him. What's that a reference to? His, his, what his name was? We, we, oh, his name was Finnegan. We, well, it's, it was a name. It was a name. We're just going to call him Finnegan for legal reasons. <laughs> no one actually can trace us back. But basically, yes, we would always have to. Oh no! And I remember I was telling our colleagues, oh, there's a word for Finneganing in Irish. Finneganing, yeah, okay. Do you know um, uh, Father Dineen, uh has a uh, a walk-on role? Not him himself, but his dictionary has a walk-on role in Ulysses. I heard that, all right. And I think he was he teaching in Clongos around the time the Joyce was there. Uh, probably, yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, well, when was Joyce? Yeah, I suppose. When was Joyce born? I think Joyce was born around 1882 in Rathgar. No, then Dineen wasn't teaching. Joyce would have graduated at 18 in uh, 1890, which was when Dineen, or maybe he was teaching as a lay brother, but he wasn't ordained a priest until... They, they often teach before they become priests. Of course, because they teach as brothers. Yeah, they teach as, bro- as brother Dineen. But we do know this, that, that, that go on, tell us more about the walk-on part. Oh, yeah, so um, in Ulysses, in the in the library scene, an attendant from the doorway called... Mr. Lister, Father Dinning went, Oh, Father Dinning, directly. Swiftly, reckly, creaking, reckly, reckly, he was reckly gone. Interesting. Yeah, so Father Dinning. He's a, yeah, he's a, and the thing is like, uh, I'm not sure if it's actually Father Dinning who wanted anything or if it's like, there's a want in in Father Dinning's book. Isn't there a reference though as well to the actual dictionary itself? But, I don't. Um, I don't actually have a copy of Ulysses open in front yeah, of me. Yeah, neither do I. Sure, it's uh, just full of fart jokes anyway. Just, just, just <laughs> disgusting book. Uh, Virginia Woolf, when she was asked, you know, to to review Ulysses, she was talking about. She described it as being very unpleasant, and the it was the sensation of watching a queasy undergraduate squeezing his pimples. Oh God! Wow, that's. That's our Virginia. Uh, who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? I am. <laughs> Ugh, we should just go back to the dictionary. Yeah, it's got, go. look, it's got some lovely terms, like you say, ones that don't um, uh, that don't have uh, English language translations. I think mm-hmm. that one of the ones that we could really, really do with one of the ones that I could really, really do with is Kyle Tashka. Kyle Tashka. Kyle Tashka. Kyle Tashka. A lost hoard or a lost treasure, and what it means is something that you've put aside for safekeeping. And now you can't remember where you've put it. That's brilliant. Kyle yeah. Tashka. Yeah. Like Kyle Tashka, in a phrase, Tasha Egyle Tashka, it has been laid aside for safekeeping, but it cannot be found for the moment. How many times has that happened to you? <laughs> Too many times. Like, it's just, it's absolutely. You know yourself, you just, especially when you just put down your keys to pick up a child to take them to the car and then you don't know where the keys you are. You don't know where the child is. <laughs> <laughs> One or two other. Um, and uh, there's one of the words, well, he has a word for a mermaid, which is mergelt, a sea lunatic or a sea wanderer. A mergelt, yeah, mergelt. yeah. So gelt being a lunatic, um, yeah. well, you know, which is, yeah. And, and actually, mer meaning sea, it's very, very close to mer, isn't it? Like yeah. you know, the influence of the Latin is very... Um, you can really see that, all right. Yeah. Um, uh, we're sitting here eating donuts, which would remind me of a, an alamutuch. That would be a person of slovenly or uncleanly habits in eating, working, etc. 
Well, that's exactly the kind of thing he'd be saying. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, some of the examples he uses for um, for words, for verbs, and for nouns, uh, they're fantastic, and they really are. Uh, you know, botches the kinds like they're they're absolutely soaked in the talk of of people. Tuchasugasdiinge asking a crumble. Cromwell's curse. May you have an itch and no nail. Oh, <laughs> that, that's fantastic. Yeah, it's absolutely brilliant. Like there's a there's a, just a, a massive, massive repository of um just wonderful little nahani kind to like just these little tiny little uh, figures of speech, you know. It's uh it's absolutely absolutely brilliant. Like um for example, a, a Gugulia is is a a, a dotard. Or a, or a very silly person, <laughs> right? But there's only one step worse than a Guglia, and that's a Guglia go. And that's somebody who's been sent on a fool's errand by... A fool. By a fool. <laughs> well, more fool you for going on more a fool's fool errand you, if you're a Guglia go. A Guglia go. Yeah, absolutely. One sent on a fool's errand. And a Guglia Guija, Guglia Guija is, uh, you know, the cock on top of the weather vane. Oh, yeah? Yeah, that's a Guglia Guija. Complete. A wind idiot. <laughs> <laughs> Look at that wind idiot up there, like just that's, that's, telling us what way the wind is going. Spanner. <laughs> so uh, obviously, back in the old days, a lot of people got married around Easter. They had to get married before the Shrove, yeah. And if they couldn't get married before the Shrove or the Shrove or Pancake Tuesday, as it's known now, then they couldn't get married until after Easter. You couldn't get married during Lent on Harris. Yeah. So yeah, around about Easter, there would be a backlog of a lot of people who may or may not have been forty days and forty nights pregnant, yeah. uh, <laughs> queuing up to get married. Absolutely, but there was a funny, um, there's a thing back. There was a custom in the old days, which you know seems seems a bit in bad taste now. But there was a coigilach was a rude figure, tarred and posted on the doors of those whose, whom Lent finds unmarried. So the idea is that, <laughs> in addition to the in addition to the long walk back. In addition to, you know, uh, having to kind of, you know, uh, listen to emo music and, you know, and give out about how, you know, the girls don't go for nice guys like you. You also have to go home and have a big loser sign stamped on your door. <laughs> a kegelach was a rude figure tarred and posted on the doors of those whom Lent finds unmarried. And this very definition, this very definition is a great example of, like, I really feel like Deneen was like a poet trapped in the body of a lexicographer. He wanted to write. I felt, and you get that a certain level of flair in his definitions. Changaira is a word he gives as the roaring of water in a cave, which literally means the laughter of the waves. Wow. All right. This week's episode of Mother Folklore is sponsored by Forest Nagoelga, and we'd love to tell you more about them and the work they do. Forest Nagoelga promotes both Irish language and traditional arts, as well as Irish language learning and culture. This includes the arts sector, festivals, theatre, training workshops, publications and cultural events. Their work is done on an all-island and international basis by adopting and implementing funding schemes. Forest Nagelga provides various supports in the arts sector, including the festivals and drama company schemes. The Calm Kill Grant scheme aims to foster interaction and cooperation between speakers of Irish and speakers of Scots Gaelic, and to strengthen the two language communities. For more Irish language activities and resources, check out the newly redesigned Gaelga.ie that just relaunched this week. Forest Nagwalka, celebrating 20 years. Isi or Jangahani. It's our language. It's December, 
how we are um, going to hear some little bells. Are we? we are get, get, when we get together on the 25th of December and celebrate the birth of our Lord and Saviour, Patrick Estinian. <laughs> <laughs> he was born on Christmas Day. And interestingly enough, that makes perfect sense because he translated Christmas Carol to Irish. He did. He did. He did. Making him one of uh, two people who have uh, done that. Uh, Macho Cummings, editor of Nose, being another, should give him his dues. He did a brilliant version of it recently. Did he? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's really, really, really good. Matty! Don't call him that. Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God, we should... <laughs> <laughs> we should get a copy of that book. We should do a live reading uh, at some stage. You know, I want to be a uh, ghost of Christmas Future. The, is that the one that doesn't do any talking in the Muppet Christmas Carol movie? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that'd be pretty good, all right. Uh, <laughs> I love the Muppet Christmas Carol movie. It's just brilliant. I actually think it's one of the best versions of A Christmas Carol uh, out there. And so, yeah, no, definitely. And Michael Caine brings it, in fairness to him. So, uh, a co- couple of questions. Right? Yep. I get, I'm reminded of a tweet I saw a couple of months ago uh, where somebody said, uh, what was the one movie that you used to plague your parents with as a kid and make them put on all the time? Mm-hmm. And for a friend of mine, it was A Muppet Christmas Carol. Uh, for me, it was an American tale. Oh, yeah. What was yours? We see, uh, I'm a little bit old for the old... When we had what did you make your parents put on Betamax? Betamax. <laughs> <laughs> Get out the old <laughs> Super well, 8. It's funny enough, because there was... A, like, we didn't... We wouldn't, I wouldn't have had a, kind of a, any, a VCR of any description to all of me. We were around, like 13 years old. But any time it was on television, my dad and I, we'd always watch Jaws. Jaws but is good. Jaws. We'd always miss the first 10 minutes, seven or eight minutes each time. Dad would say, Oh, hang on a second, just wanted to watch the news or something first. And then we'd all be watching Jaws. Ah, uh, so, so that you wouldn't, never so young saw Derek the would never have to see the. <laughs> never saw the boobs. <laughs> and yeah, so those. Uh, but I thought he was uh, sparing you from all the violence at the, when the, nope. the first person is eaten. But That's no. probably, there's probably an element of that. But I think there was, like, there was, there was a lot of the, a lot of the, Academic literature about Jaws is focused on those first five, five or ten minutes. The idea of the, the the female vic- first female victim being punished for her, you know, uh, sexual forwardness. Well, th- this was just it was just nineteen seventy cinema. Yeah. You know, it's it, it it like in Scream they hang a lampshade on these horror rules, like you yeah. know that if you if you do topless or full frontal nudity, you're going to die. The black character is always going to die. You know, the mm-hmm. the virgin is the one who survives. It's uh, yeah, they just um they they. Yeah, I mean, Jaws, Jaws mm. was, was a great movie. Jaws is a great movie. It's a fantastic movie. Yeah. But I mean, it was kind of, it was 70s cinema. It had its, its bit, its kitsch moments. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that, and then, so yeah, so there, there was that, that was, that was a movie we always watch every single time it was on television. We'd always have to make time for it. And then I, I love Back to the Future so much and I saw it in the cinema for the first time. Um, Michael J. Fox goes back in time to my birthday to November, the 5th of November. And uh, so 1985, 1985, yeah. So, and what was that? Your 21st, <laughs> not quite. No, it was that would have been my eighth birthday, yeah. But yeah, so we've um, so yeah, look, that Back to the Future would have been one of my go to ones. I say I've uh, I've probably watched that more than any other film. And the second question it reminded me of, yeah, you have to remake one movie with Muppets. What's the movie, and yeah. and which human actor and character stays so, human? So just one human, one human, isn't it? Yeah, surrounded think, by Muppets. The last time, the last time I answered this question, I think it was Lethal Weapon was what I picked with Danny Glover as the human. Oh, that's good. Mm. Just one day from retirement. <laughs> <laughs> and then apart from that, if I was, if I had to pick a second time, then I would possibly pick the, um, 
Oh, if I, if I had to pick one more, maybe I would pick the Shawshank Redemption. That's that's with, dark. I love it. <laughs> with, with the with the with the prison with the head of the prison, the the, 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 the warder. Yeah, the warder is the human. I don't know. I think that the human has to be a sort of a sympathetic character, but yeah. No, no, really the, no, the human doesn't. The human has to be the. Um, but I mean, like in, in Scrooge, of, yeah. I know that there's more than just okay. Michael Caine in Scrooge, but like the, the rest of them are just Michael Caine's family and things like that. Like everyone yeah. else is a Muppet. Like, and he becomes sympathetic. He's the hero. He he learns yeah. and he grows and he's. Yeah, you you're. Know. Yeah, actually, that, 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 that's so, a fair point. So in that case, then I would pick the snapper with Calamini as the human. That's good. That's really good. That's yeah. what I was thinking the commitments mm-hmm. uh, with either Joey the Lips Fagan or, or um, Colomini. But somebody actually, somebody else, they come up with this. What if you just me- remade the entire Barrytown trilogy yeah. and it's just Colomini surrounded by Muppets? <laughs> you believe in Muppets? <laughs> you believe in Muppets, yeah. <laughs> Man. Colomini, national treasure. Absolutely, yeah. I remember hearing a great story about Colomini. I don't know how true this is, but uh, he, when he was younger, he was working on fishing trawlers mm-hmm. out of Holt. And uh, and then uh, <laughs> one time he got off the boat and the fella said to him, you're young, you're, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're well-educated, you're younger, you're very smart. You should get yourself a priesthood. So he immediately quit fishing and became an actor. <laughs> <laughs> Man. Um, but yeah, Dineen, Dineen, Dineen. One of the Dineen. things, one of the lessons you can tell from Dineen, and and I'm totally indebted to the Twitter account um, on Dineenach, Dineen's dictionary on Twitter, is uh, how to speak Irish to animals because oh, yeah. animals have their own calls. They have their own calls in almost every language. And yeah. in Irish, there's no exception. Uh, if you want to encourage your dog in Irish, uh, it's hula hula. So hula hula is to tell your dog to go on. Go hula on, hula. Hula hula. Hula hula. hula. Who's a good boy? Hola Herc. Hola Herc. Hola Hola. Uh, if you want to um, drive away pigs, uh, say 30 to 50 feral hogs, yeah. uh, you would say Hurish. 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 Which is very, very different to Hush, which you use to drive away cows. Oh, yeah. So if you want to call a cow, uh, you say Ho or Hovo. Ho, ho, ho. Hovo, hovo, hovo. Uh, and then uh, if you want to say Hush, you're driving them away. Um, and then, oh yeah, dog, ducks. If you need to call ducks, it's a wheat, 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 wheat. Wheat, wheat. Wheat, wheat, wheat. But hens uh, better respond to chuck. Chuck, 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 chuck. That makes sense. And then if you want a cat to come over. That's right. I've My own father used to do that one. Yeah. And if you want the cat to go the other way, if you want the cat to fuck off, it's a squit. Squit. Squit to mach that takes you right back. Those are pure carry. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, he's from Rathmore, get a carry. That's, that's yeah. where it is. Um, in my wife's neck of the woods, they say, uh, yo, when, uh, when they want a sheep to fuck off. <laughs> I don't know what the technical term is. When they want to drive a sheep. It's yo, yo, yo. Um, I, used which, to, I, I used to go with a girl from the country, you know, I was on the phone to her once and she was kicked, getting the sheep away from her. She says, oh, sheep are such fucking idiots. <laughs> And it's one, I think it's one of the only things I remember her saying. They um, they are, though. Like, mm. cows are really clever. Yeah. Like, they say that cows uh, have a memory of three years. Wow. I've no idea how they check that. I don't know, did they go up to a cow and ask, uh, you know, hey, what were you doing on the 25th of December 2018? <laughs> oh, damn it, yeah, I was in a field. Oh, man. Yeah. But cows are good. They all point in the same direction when they know the rain's coming. Yeah, and cows can sense when a storm is coming and they'll lie down. 
They'll lie down when a storm is coming. Somebody actually told me as well that cows can remember their names. So if mm-hmm. you give a cow a name and... Uh, but the, the best thing about that fact is apparently they don't always come when they're called. So again, I have no idea how they found out the cows yeah. recognised their names. They go like, you know, like, Gary, Gary, Gary. And Gary the cows over there going like, nah, bro. No, nah, not feeling it. Not feeling the <laughs> Not feeling it today. <laughs> nah, bro. Nah, I'm not doing it. No. Good stuff. Gary the cow. Gary would be a... Oh, fuck it. I don't subscribe to the binary. Gary can be a cow. Yeah, Gary Gary can be... You, you don't know. It could be G-E-A-R-R-A-I-D-H. D-H-E. Yeah. <laughs> this needs needs more fathers. Needs more fathers. So, like, now, I mean, we've... um, yeah, Deneen was the last major dictionary to be included without those modern letters, which generated so much generated so much controversy. It was the it was the end it was the it was the end of the Can yeah. you hear me can you hear me poo poo your controversy? I can't. Can. So then like when uh, and then the next dictionary was uh, was the one produced by a, a secular man, a um, a layman, uh Tomas de Valdreha, uh, who was originally studying French and he realizes that just French is shite. He was studying French over in Paris and then like like Rick in Casablanca had to leave because of World War Two. But he had instead of going to Casablanca, he went back to he went <laughs> to back Dublin. to Dublin. I think he went to Cork. Cork. Even even better mm. than Casablanca, question mark. They have a new footbridge. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah, so okay, so Dewalder came home and he wrote um Dewalder was the folklore Bear Le Gwelga, isn't he? He's the folklore yeah. Bear Le Gwelga, the That's blue right. one. Yeah. And the green one is uh, Neil O'Donnell. Neil O'Donnell, um, yeah. Yeah. So I mean we had a Gwelga Berla in nineteen 19- 13, well, destroyed in 1916, reissued in the 1920s. But we had a Gwelga Berla for a long time before we had a Berla Gwelga. Yeah. And is it kind of just because, like, English lacks those unique terms that need to be translated into oh so many words? Yeah, I think there's a, there's a, because of this, yeah, so, you, like, um, Devaldra was called upon to come up with words for, like, X-ray and and other, other uh, oh, things Oh, yeah, like that. So, so the importance of the neologism was, was kind of... Yeah, and, and then there was also issues. Basically, there was a lot of stakeholders involved who Devaldra had to basically keep on board because the civil servants who were who wanted to basically wanted to buy certain typewriters who, who they had those kind of considerations there was certain scientific people being translated there's still a perception that an old Gaelic Ireland could be you know a scientific leader in these things they wanted words for the ESB the ESB stuff down in Limerick there was there were, there were a lot of uh, stakeholders so wait, 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 what I'm getting out of this yeah. is that the reason we have V's and W's in the Irish language yeah. is big typewriter Cheap typewriter. Big typewriter. Oh, yeah, the typewriter industry, yes. The big, yeah, the typewriter industrial complex. The typewriter industrial con- uh, complex. complex. <laughs> also, the you have to remember, the, like, typists were a fair, like, every girl who wasn't being trained to be a nurse or, or a teacher was trained to be a stenographer. Stenographer. And the stenographer sector uh, was actually fairly, was fairly big. I mean, there was a, a lot of, like, a lot of people were trained to be stenographers. I'm... You know it's not pronounced like that, right? <laughs> stenographers. Well, anyway, but yeah, but it was it was a big thing, and stenographers were expected, obviously, yes, to to not be bilingual in lots of cases if they wanted a civil service job. There were different sectors as well, but so there those was, were the days, huh? 
Night those out. are the days. Those. Imagine that. A civil service that had room in its ranks for people who spoke English and Irish. How absolutely wonderful. That's almost utopian. It's almost utopian, isn't it? But the but then so Not that Ireland was a fucking utopia at the time, like Jesus Christ. Far from All it. the poor fucking stenographers had to leave work after they got married. Yes. Well it meant that there was there was, it meant it kept the stenography training schools open. Oh, how wonderful. Oh, so there's an upside to everything. There you go. I used to work with a... I you sound like a fucking Brexiteer. Like, I <laughs> at least there'll be a roaring trade in smuggling. <laughs> sure, well, I used to work with a woman. She's telling me that when she was doing the stenography, that there was a, the, the kind of the, the woman who was teaching the class had a ruler and would hit their hands if they were, you know, if they were doing... Holding if their hands were in the incorrect position, like if they were kind of hovering over the space bar, if they did any two-finger moves. Oh, can you touch type? Um, I think so. No, I can't. I'm a two-finger typist. Like, I'm not full 10, 10 digiting, but maybe, I... Maybe yeah. a four-finger typist now that I think about. I can probably, yeah, but do that. But basically, the again, that... So, Eamon de Valera's personal assistance was acquired in actually getting certain decisions through. And that so Devaldra did thank uh, Dev in his in his book, in, in, his his, in, 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 in the introduction, because ah. there were so many stakeholders who had different opinions on what, how words should be translated or what, what things should and shouldn't be included. And the amount of people, particularly because he was modernizing certain spellings, as we said, Galga, dropping that sound DH in Galga. Yeah. Uh, the, there was huge resistance. I think there's, um, you know, you're, you're dealing with people with very strong views. Almost caused the civil war. And people that, were willing to go to the barricades for their silent DHs. They sh- <laughs> They sure were. It's the side. Yeah, they the, sure were. S U D H G H R E. And yeah, and that, that's and because of this, 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 uh, this kind I of. I mean, deep, we all know what side you come down on the the Great Silent Letter War. Well, I just think sometimes that silent letters in my own name remind me that there's more to life than what you immediately hear. Sometimes you got to look deeper. Sometimes the letters that don't speak for themselves deserve to be stood up for. Never judge a book by the sound of the name on its cover when someone's reading it out. Yeah, absolutely. Have you uh, you ever heard of um, uh, a series of P.G. Woodhouse books uh, called uh, Smith? It's about a guy whose name is uh, Rupert Smith, uh, but it's spelled P-S-M-I-T-H. Smith? And then, no, no, Smith. Oh, yeah? There's a silent P. Oh. And that's a recurring motif in it. Like he's uh, he's heading around. It's like it's typical Woodhouse, like comedies of manners and all that. But mm-hmm. like, you go, hello, my name is uh, Rupert Smith. I was like, no, Smith, is it? No, no, Smith. There's a silent P. <laughs> <laughs> Classic. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. So, so you should you start doing that. Like, oh, Derek o- O'Shea, is it? No, it's it's O'Shea. I thought I said that. No, no, you left out the silent G H and the silent D H. I should. I should, but <laughs> And yeah. the silent A at the end. Fuck it, actually, most of the name is silent, actually, to be honest with you. So oh. You should leave a gap, actually. You should go like, hi, my name is Derek O'Shea. That was the rest of my name. It's silent. And you're very welcome to Motherfuckler. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps I should. No, it's 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 a, it's a heck of a thing. The, at the origin, largely, there's a number of different O'Shea's in, in Kerry, and they distinguish themselves from each other with these little moments of flair. So you do get some people who spell ah, it SE Father. And yeah, yeah. The yes, ones that are good at football spell it SE Father. Yes. I notice that's not your gang. Not my gang. No, no, no. They were, they were, they were different. <laughs> the football of the mind. The football of the mind. Oh, what, but, and the ones who are good at music. Is that the, no, that wasn't you either. <laughs> well, at least, we're, 
at least we're not the Limerick O'Shea's who can have, who, who won Love Island and then uh, dump the girl right after they got the money. That that's true. That's true. You are not the O'Shea's of the text dumping. <laughs> <laughs> so at least there's that. Who knows? But yeah, so. The Devolder has kind of a little thank you note to Dev as it led to the urban myth circulating of him, of Devil Arab insisting on V being instituted for his own name. Yeah, which is just so ridiculous because we had so many other um, reasons for having V in. Like, I mean, we literally talked about this in the very first episode of this podcast, but like, there's so many other reasons. I mean, and Devil Arab, like, God damn it. It's just, yeah. 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 He gets a, He gets a bad rap. You know, he does He does get a bad rap on occasion. I yeah. mean, he was awful. So he deserves a lot of his bad rap. But I mm-hmm. mean, he didn't insist on V being in the language so he could spell his own name. No, we will, we will discuss those aspects because obviously Dev, Devil Air is a major figure in Ireland and we will be looking at other parts of his legacy soon again. He, he, he's again? Gonna, he's going to keep coming up. <laughs> yes. I want to look at the drafting of the Bunrocked. I mean, we looked at, we looked at, we, we looked. I want to look at the basically how much of the Bunrocked was Dev and how much of it was McQuaid and how much of it was that other guy. That but, other guy? <laughs> Tune in to find out who that yeah. other guy was. The George Harrison of the Constitution. <laughs> oh, in many uh, ways, I'm kind of glad that John Lennon and George Harrison couldn't vote for Brexit. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I, I, th- I think John Lennon probably would have been a Brexiteer. Of course he would have. He was an awful man. Yeah. He's an awful man, like, you know what I mean? Like, John Lennon wrote some beautiful songs, but he was a powerful dose. <laughs> yeah. Imagine there's no heaven. Oh, shut up. Yeah. Prick. Imagine no possessions as I sit here in me million pound house in New York on me piano with more money than God. <laughs> yes, indeed. Now he can go and flip himself. <laughs> you can flip yourself right in the axe. <laughs> um, yeah, so Dinny's dictionary. Speaking of which, remember UTV before it was turned in, before it was changed around, they used to have um, UTV show action films where they dubbed certain swear words out. Oh, yeah, or just cut them out. Or, yeah, 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 yeah. And like we were talking about this recently, you son of a witch. And <laughs> this is a real firing gun. But there's a, a great line, there's a famous line in Roadhouse, which is, which is full of these kind of, you know... Roadhouse is an all-time classic movie. All-time classic all-time movie. All-time classic movie. Often misunderstood by many people, overlooked by the Academy. It's the Smokey the Bandit of the early 90s. And, <laughs> Smokey uh, the Bandit was also overlooked by the Academy. Yeah. But there's one, one particular line that's often quoted, but it was dubbed in UTV as, I used to hug guys like you in prison. <laughs> like, that's adorable. You've been rehabilitated. <laughs> Oh, <laughs> I'm off to search Dineen's dictionary to see if there's a, a phrase that can adequately explain how that line makes me feel. <laughs> Perhaps. So, you can get that Dineen's dictionary and a Lara. Yeah, and if you're really, really cheap, you can probably download the PDF from UCC's website. But it makes a wonderful gift for the girl going your life this holiday season unless you like you know download the pdf and print it out then everyone knows you're a cheap ass because i don't have a new book out this particular christmas go ahead and get get, get your galagor paladinine <laughs> so until the next time it's a slon for me it's a slon catch you later this has been a production of the headstuff podcast network 